Hi, you're listening to the Raw Heart and Soul podcast with Tanya Carroll, where I talk with people whose life stories will inspire you and provoke thoughts about how you can live your best life by finding and following your soul purpose. Hey, did you know that I'm a coach? Well, I am. I'm a Czech professional, which means I'm a corrective exercise and physical training coach, as well as a holistic lifestyle coach. I do this face-to-face in the chiropractic clinic I share with my husband in Melbourne, as well as online all over the world. This means that I will share with you the tools that have helped others understand what living a healthy life looks and feels like, what it takes for you to get a good night's sleep, to have honest and fulfilling and meaningful relationships with the people in your life that you love, and for you to be working in a job that is fulfilling. I will help you find and live your sole purpose. I also help you understand your own personal nutrition, including digestion and all things elimination on an individual level with the stand, without the standard cookie cutter approach that just doesn't work. I have programs that include group coaching as well as one-on-one that will suit your needs and fit into your budget. If you're interested, I hope that you will go to my website, rawheartandsoul.com for more information and join our community on Facebook and Instagram at rawheartandsoul. Glenn Ostland has an MA in Folklore and Mythology from Indiana University. He is a prolific podcaster hosting and producing the Mytholo Guy podcast, Infants on Thrones, Bathing with God and the Spiritual Dimension of the Beatles. Glenn recently published his first book, Bathing with God, which is a memoir of sorts, detailing how a former Mormon missionary turned accidental de facto atheist found a way to explore the possible existence of God through a deep dive into science, reason, imagination and fiction show um glenn oslin and i've this is the first time i've met glenn he came via a referral from another friend who i've had on here christopher jones so welcome to the show glenn thank you tanya it's nice to be here yeah i'm really looking forward to this because um yeah i think we've got a lot in common but i think there's um, some interesting questions in here that i want to hear your perspective on from what i've researched about you Uh oh (laughs) (laughs) okay sounds good Um, what is the job that you do right now? So I know that you're a podcaster, but give us a bit of background about um, what, what it is you do for work. So I, I work for a dentist who makes oral appliances for people who suffer from sleep apnea. Mm. Um, so you mentioned just a few minutes ago, you're, you're out on the road, so you're a salesman? Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm doing sales right now. I'm doing operations management. Um, it's a small company, a startup. We're just getting it off the ground. So yeah, cool. that's and what so, I do. And so the podcasting is like kind of like a hobby? Yeah, well, I've been podcasting as a hobby for about 10 years. I, I, w- I did it as a freelancer for a couple of years. I had a few clients and then that went away. And so I had to go find something else to do. Hmm. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about your childhood and, and how you were raised. Because I, um, from, again, from my research, you, you were a Mormon. You're not a Mormon now. Right. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I was raised as a Mormon. I'm I'm no longer a believing Mormon or attending church or anything like that. I haven't resigned. A, a lot of Mormons who uh, aren't Mormon anymore, they they resign. They have their names removed from the record of the church. I've never gone to that extreme with it. Um, but yeah, I, I so I've been doing a podcast since 2012 called Infants on Thrones, which I started with uh, five friends of mine, all kind of disgruntled Mormons coming out of that culture, that belief system. And uh, we started off pretty rowdy and uh, mostly atheist leaning and uh, yeah, really kind of satirically taking shots at belief and faith. And, you know, it, it was kind of a way for us to 
to detach from those belief systems that were so much a part of who we were. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know how much you know about Mormonism. No, but... I was going to ask you that. So I, yeah. I was raised um, in a Catholic family and my immediate family were, I mean, we were Catholics. So we used to go to church yeah. up until, um, so then some of my extended, well, one of my extended family became very heavily involved in the Catholic church and actually started his own kind of sect cult away as part of the Catholic church, but a side part of it. So from that point on, yeah, really interesting. So from that point on, like my, we were still Catholic and we still went to Catholic schools and I was about, I think I was about nine when that happened. But as I look back now on my childhood, even though my mum and dad kind of said, oh, we're not going to go to church because this particular family member was really full on. Yeah. Um, we still had all of those values and we still had, and now that I can unpack my programming as an adult, yeah. so much of it was subliminal and not even from my parents' perspective, but as a, like my extended family. Sure. So, so the, yeah, I'm interested to learn about the difference between Catholic, Catholicism, Catholics and Mormons, because I really don't have much of a background on it. Well, I think some of the similarities that you'd find, I mean, Catholicism obviously is a lot older, more uh, depth of tradition there. But it's, you know, if you say that you're Catholic, that extends to more than just your belief system, right? I mean, it's kind of a, a culture and a way of life. And Mormonism is, is very much like that as well. It's a much younger religion, yeah. but it's so pervasive. It, it It's not just going to church for a couple of hours every Sunday. It's it's a, a lifestyle and a belief system and interacting with other Mormons. And it just, it forms a, a, a subculture all of its own. And which I, I understand Catholicism is, is a culture as much as it is a religion mm. um, as well um so so yeah that i and and my childhood growing up mormon i really liked it i i um i had a lot of friends i enjoyed the structure i enjoyed you know there were things i didn't enjoy where like <laughs> my my mom would tell me maybe an hour before it was time to go to church oh you're going to be performing today you're going to be singing in front of the the congregation like really oh wow <laughs> so she'd put me up on the stand but that was something that her parents had done to her yeah um or for her or with her or however you want to look at that yeah um but yeah so so for for me uh being born mormon and each one of my great grandparents were also born mormon so it's like I think I'm a seventh generation Mormon and um, yeah, just very, very deep roots in a growing up in Arizona in a fairly large Mormon community, all of my extended family. Mm. It was just a very it pervasive part. That was yeah. life. That, that was it. it. That was it. Yeah. And no drinking. No. No smoking, no. no caffeine. No. Well, you know, the, the no caffeine thing, um, some, pe some people, some Mormons are more strict on that than others. Uh, we drank uh, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and it wasn't really that big of a deal, but, but no coffee, no, no tea, which seemed kind of strange because when I was, uh, when I turned 19 years old, I went on a Mormon mission to right. Japan. So I was two years in Japan where coffee and especially tea are very very big, very know? much so, a part of the culture, very much a part of the culture. And so, to, so to, to have to tell people that's bad, <laughs> it just didn't really make a lot of sense though. How could this be bad? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and in terms of, and I think this is the thing that I have found with differences between the Catholic religion and other religions is that 
they're more accepting or they're completely not accepting of um, multiple wives in a family and that sort of thing. So do, do Mormons have multiple wives? Is that like? That there, I mean, there was a, that definitely is part of Mormon history for sure. Um, yeah. where, where there, there was, um, polygamy and it was, it was even at, at one point, but I mean, we're talking about in, in the late 1800s, like 1850s to maybe 1910, 1912 uh, is, is about the span of polygamy being part of mainstream Mormonism. Mm. And it, it, it was one of the highest, uh, ordinances in, in Mormonism, like, like being baptized is required to enter heaven and being sealed to multiple wives was also seen as one of these ordinances that's required to go to the highest degree right. of, of heaven. So um, you could get in, but not to the level that someone else who had multiple wives could. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. It, it, it definitely had this hierarchical structure on the afterlife, which was one of the things that I, I liked about Mormonism, that it wasn't there's either a heaven or a hell that you go to. There wasn't really a, a hell that there was this place called outer darkness and outer darkness is where you would go if you just reject Jesus Christ and you reject faith. Um, but if you don't reject that, then there's three different <laughs> levels. You could go to the, the highest celestial or the terrestrial in the middle or the telestial at the end. But even the telestial kingdom being the lowest of those three was supposed to be so much better than this earth life. Earth and even that yeah. was a heaven, um, you know? And, and so I, I liked that, that, and being, being raised to think that there is a, that there are degrees of glory is what it's called. There's degrees yeah. of glory in the afterlife rather than uh, black and white, either this or that. I think yeah. I, I really appreciate the impact that had on my mind. <laughs> So you think programming that, you. that had on my mind? Yeah, of, yeah. of, of I, I think now being um, much more open to accepting diversity and, and nuance. Now, I'm not saying that all Mormons are like that, but that's how my, uh, I, I think that's how it impacts. That's your me. experience of it. Yeah. 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 That's really interesting. Um, it, it, it's fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating. To, to, and, and to the polygamy question, I'll just finish that. So, sure. so it's it ended in the early, uh, like around 1910 or something like that. But then there were offshoots that said, this, this has been such an important part of the religion for so long that this is a false prophet who's telling us to discontinue this. And so those, those smaller groups and offshoots kept it alive. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and, and there's still places where that's, that, that's practiced today, but it's not part of mainstream Mormonism. And certain wasn't, wasn't anything that I was ever aware of really as, as I was growing up. I didn't become aware of this until I was much older. Why do you think religions do that? Why do you think there are like the Catholic church? Why are there, why are there offshoots like that? What's your thoughts around that? Why are there offshoots of yeah, religions? Like, yeah. So like, why does, why will like say that, for example, they've evolved to thinking that um, it's, uh, well, it's not as common, but there are certain sects or certain sections of it that still practice that. Like, why do we, or why do people stray away from what is considered the, the original? Well, I, I, think, I think it's because there's something that's really appealing uh, about wherever, wherever they find um, something that's attractive to them. I, 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 I think in the case of... Um, these polygamy offshoots of Mormonism, it's because they really felt like this is the, they've been told 
this is the right way to live over and over and over again. And then, okay, now, now we're putting that away. We're going to do something different. And for some people, they'd formed such a, a an identity around these practices, uh, such an identity around these beliefs. And that could be a, a personal identity. It could be members of a group. And um, so if, if you're really attached to some of these ideas and then the ideas shift, it's not always easy to just shift with them. Um, so I, I, I think it has to do with personal identity, group identity, and just really where people feel the most comfortable and, and everybody's so different. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's so different that, that you're going to have things that are appealing to you, little bits and pieces here, little bits and pieces there. And you just kind of go where it feels the most comfortable, I think. So when uh, you shifted away from that, or I know in your notes to me, you said that you suddenly realized you, that you were more atheist. Um, yeah, that took a while. Yeah, and that yeah. was a surprise when I found out that I, yeah. I, so, so what happened with me, Tanya, I, I, um, I, I served my mission in Japan for, for two years and I came back and I was a, a college student at Brigham Young University, which is a Mormon owned university in Provo, Utah. And mm -hmm. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do for a living. And um, I, I, I went to a professor and asked him his advice. And he said, go to the library and look through the card catalog. You remember the card catalog before? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I love, yeah I'm a big library you know, fan, yes. Right. And, and he's like, so look, look through the, the little wow. cards in the card catalog. Find, find books and titles that are interesting to you and see what that tells you about like, where you might want to go in life. And so I, I went and I, I checked out three books that day. And one was called From Scythia to, to Camelot, I think. And it was about the, the way that that Camelot legend had migrated throughout Europe and taken on different elements of the story here and there. And, you know, it's kind of built as it migrated and moved through the, the continent. There was a book called The Legend of the City of Is, which was kind of like an Arthurian legend, but in, in Brittany and in, uh, in France. Mm -hmm. And then there was unpublished revelations of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is the official name of the Mormon church. And it was all these kind of like legends and folklore that is outside of the mainstream um, teachings of the Mormon church. And so I, I noticed that what all of those things had in common was this idea of folklore and tradition and legend and myth. Yep. So I, I got in touch with the, a folklore professor at Brigham Young University and I worked with him for two years in his folklore archives. I cataloged missionary stories of, you know, different different legends that missionaries tell each other. Yeah. And then I went to Indiana University to get a master's degree and a PhD in folklore and mythology. And as I was as I was studying and, and I focused on Mormons as a culture, as a, as a folk group, we, right. we called. And the more, the closer I put my own beliefs and my own culture under a microscope and compared it with other cultures and other beliefs, the more I saw, okay, there's a lot of things that we're doing in common. You know, there, there's this mm -hmm. idea of, of sympathetic magic and contagious magic and homeopathic magic that Sir James Frazier wrote The Golden Bough talked about. And as I was reading that, I thought, oh, there's things that we do in Mormon. We don't call it magic. We call it priesthood blessings or we call it you know, something like this, but like it's basically the same yeah. idea. Yeah. And, and so I, my, my literal belief in those things started falling away and I saw them as 
like there's a value in ritual, there's a value in customs, there's a value in all these things, but it's different than what I thought before. It's, it's not that God is saying, this is what you need to do to get to heaven. It's more about groups of people saying, here's what you need to do to interact with us and be acceptable members of society. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so slowly my faith started to, to morph and change. And it, it got to a point probably in 2000, 10, 2009, I was reading Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion. And in that book, he has this scale of agnostic probability from one to seven. And I read number six on that scale, which is a de facto atheist, which means that you're not 100% certain that there's no God, but you think it's highly improbable that he exists, or you at least live your life as if God does not exist. And I went, that's kind of where I am. I, I think that God is a story that people have have told and there's told themselves. Yeah. And, and you might find this interesting and, and I'll, and I'll stop talking a minute and let you ask me questions. No, no, when, I, I'm when, I, this. when I was a graduate student, I was teaching folklore classes to, to, uh, to college students at Indiana university. And I used to do this belief survey where I would have about 30 questions and, and have every student in the class answer them. And it was things like, you know, yes or no. Do you believe in a God? Do you believe in a devil? Do you believe in angels? Do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in hell? Do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe in aliens? You know, just all these kinds of things. Yeah. And there were certain pairs that I expected that if somebody believed in God, then they would also believe in a devil or if somebody believed or in angels, heaven, they would so. also believe in a hell, you know? Or yeah. But it was this scattershot all over the board. Like there, I couldn't, I, I did this class after class, year after year. I couldn't figure out any patterns. It was just like, this hodgepodge of what people believed and what they didn't believe, which is morphing and changing all the time. So what do you do and with that information when you say that? I, I think I started to appreciate the malleable nature of belief in yeah. humans more than I did before. And, and instead of being so rigidly uh, attached to this is the right way, this is the wrong way. I said, look at all the different ways there are that people think this is the right way. Mm. And these are the way that all the elements of existence are lining up. You know, and everybody yep. has such a different view of it that I, I don't, I, I hadn't really recognized or appreciated before that. I think you hit the nail on the head with when you say rigidity around their beliefs and their systems. And uh, what I see, the more, the deeper I get with my own studies on myself, the more I see mm -hmm. in other people, the things that they carry through life with them. And I see it in a physical as well, as well as a metaphysical, because I coach in both realms. So mm -hmm. physical manifests in the physical in so many ways in like tighten the thoracic spine rigid in their movement but yeah. how it holds them back like how that rigid thinking and, and not being open to being curious about where somebody else is coming from um yeah. really is um it can mess people up because they get programmed or they get stuck in that way of thinking and they for them to admit that um what they've lived and what they've believed their whole life might not be necessarily what they thought it was not yeah. necessarily right or wrong um yeah. and to have to admit that um means that part of their identity is shaken yeah yeah and i and i see a lot of that rigidity now kind of the same way that i see a cocoon for you know a caterpillar that's changing into a butterfly and there, there there's this like rigid covering that protects it from the outside world and until it's ready 
it stays in there and it might be kind of painful as you're breaking, you know, you're pushing up against it to try to break out of it. Yeah. But then when you break out of it, you realize, oh, I'm a, I'm a different thing than I was before. And of course, it, this, as soon as you get out of it, there's another cocoon <laughs> just on the outside, <laughs> the concentric layers of cocoons and rigidity as we're like growing out of whatever systems of, of belief um, we were raised in or have adopted. Um, but yeah, so I, 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 I understand like looking at that kind of rigidity as being a problem and a cause of suffering. And I think, I think it is, I, but I, I don't really like um, labeling it as a problem that way because it's, it's so crucial for growth and development. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone's going through that journey, they're, they're clearly going through that journey for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and there's a benefit to it. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, I, I don't ever want to be dismissive and say, and just do the Pollyanna. Well, look at the, look at the good. I, I, I tend to do that. And people who are in the midst of suffering are like, wait until I'm done suffering to tell me the, the good part. I need, to, I yeah. need to, to feel what I'm feeling and get through this right now. Yeah. Um, hold yeah. space for them and hold space for where they're at. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, so where do you sit with your belief around God now? Well, um, my, my, my belief around God now is it's still kind of the same that, that any, any story that anybody is ever telling about God or any thought that I might think about God is a symbol. And it's an, it's an imperfect symbol that's formed by a, a brain that has like severe limitations on what it's able to perceive of reality mm. and that. So I, I'm, I'm going to do a, 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 a nod to Richard Dawkins again, because <laughs> just like Richard Dawkins showed me that, that I was a de facto atheist, at least by the way he was defining that term, he also introduced this way for me to understand God that could go beyond the realm of symbols. Um, he, he, he did an interview for a movie that Ben Stein did on intelligent design and uh, Ben Stein was asking him about the the probability of of God existing in the universe or there being an intelligent designer and where did life come from how, how did life happen on this this planet and Richard Dawkins kept saying we don't know we don't know but if if there was some kind of intelligent designer that seeded life on this planet it would have had to have been maybe some civilization in a remote corner of the universe that advanced to a high level of technology through some kind of Darwinian evolution like we have here on this earth and then you know traveled the universe and seeded life on this planet which isn't that dissimilar from the Mormon view of God that I was raised with that that um, God had evolved to the point of Godhood and that all of us as his children were deity and embryo basically that, that we're eternally progressing towards godhood mm -hmm. and so because that was my background when i heard what richard dawkins was saying um i thought okay so maybe maybe there could have been an advanced civilization not necessarily that they evolved in the form of like humans but maybe at, at the form of energy <laughs> you know something that we can't even really conceive of and so my, I guess the, the, to answer your question, my, my view of God now, I think is some kind of 
really undefinable energy. Maybe maybe the closest I could come to it would say the energy that's in the quantum realm, that that source energy that just like is everything that we see around us. That that that's why I I wrote the book Bathing with God. Yeah. Um, to, to, to explore this idea of God being source energy. Yeah. And, you know, friends of mine would say, why are you calling it God? Why, yeah. why that name? Why that name? Why that label? Why? Yeah. And, and well, how, what else would you call? What, what are the typical uh, characteristics that we use when we talk about God? We talk about a creator. Yeah. We talk about um, omniscience, omnipotence, yeah. omnipresence. And um, I, I think that, this this idea of source energy at least the way that i understand it is all of those things mm. always everywhere <laughs> yeah all time everything and nothing at once yeah well i don't know about the nothing why why, why the every the nothing um i think because um i think sometimes we look into or we we as humans we look at what we can see mm-hmm. and we classify the things that we can't see as not important or nothing when in mm. fact that's probably where more of the energy exists okay that's the way I, that's the way i would describe that sure yeah invisible yeah uh, yeah you're not even well i see it differently a lot more now because i like the density I, that's the way i would describe it the density yeah. around us that we don't know that we don't necessarily tap into unless we're really aware of it okay because the, the I empty that space as, yeah the abyss the the um, uh-huh. and we have that inside us as well as outside us is what my sure. belief of that is that um yeah the space and i think as humans or looking from a human perspective we see it as the, the gaps and the emptiness in between it whereas a lot lately i'm seeing it as um it's so full it's so there's so much more there than we um yeah we even know about i think like when you talk about the use of the brain and how much we can tap into there's so much of it that we don't use there's so much of the the nothing or of the outer or of the abyss that we don't allow ourselves to understand or comprehend because we um because it's frightening and because it's scary of that that unknown yeah and because Uh, we really can't (laughs) yeah uh, yeah unless you have that experience of being uh, in those other realms is what i'm talking about um and i described this i think it was in an email last night to some of my clients but it's kind of like i see things now where my life's going along like and this is the example I use. We were driving on the freeway on Sunday, my husband and one of our kids, and two kangaroos jumped across the freeway in front of us, two cars in front of us. And one of them, I actually only saw the very first one because it was on my side of the car and it was injured. And Andrew slammed the brakes on and warning lights and everything went off. It's kind of like they didn't jump out of anywhere that I saw. It's kind of like this, like a tear in the, in the nothing or in the abyss mm. that they kind of jumped through. And into my life and into my world they kind of it's like this tear that happened and they jumped in and then i'm left with what do i do with that tear does, does that get closed back up again or do i learn from that experience and and not to the point of where i'm like pulling every minuscule thing apart but what did that mean in my life at that moment and what does it mean going forward and does that it's like this um yeah it's really hard to describe it's like a tear in the ether that opens to let something in to make you aware of it or to bring you to center you or bring you back to that moment and then does it close up or is that are you able to get back into that again when you choose to but when you're talking about the the, the tear yeah i are, are you talking about like the, the the transition from going when 
when the kangaroos were outside of your conscious awareness to when they were inside of your conscious Correct. awareness? Okay. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. You just put All it right. in better words. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> because I'm learning more about how to get into that unconscious and get mm. in and, and bring that into more of my conscious because mm. um, I want to know what's there. Um, so I'm going to ask you a different question. All right. Um, what do you feel about soul then? So I differentiate God from soul. I differentiate God, soul being um, the seed in which is inside of me that contains the blueprint of what I've come here to do. Hmm. How would you, how do you feel about that word soul? Yeah, I've been really interested in the word soul. And I, I still haven't settled on what I really think of, of it. Um, but the, 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 the way that I'm most comfortable of thinking about a soul is that it's kind of like a big clump <laughs> of, of source energy that um, is constantly like morphing and changing. And uh, like, I, I, don't, I don't think of myself as having a soul. I think of myself as being an extension of a soul and that, that the soul that I'm a part of is also the soul of many other things many other people you know that that the souls are kind of this i think i think in bathing with god i i talk about them as like neighborhoods or something like that um that they're just kind of um i i think ultimately it's all source energy but there are different um i don't know the way that i think of it that there, there's different clumps I, I think really clump is the only word that kind of matches what i what picture thinking. in my head when i'm thinking about it yeah yeah um and that like multi-dimensional not just in this three-dimensional space but every place that there's uh, there's uh existence that soul is doing something yeah. in it and interacting with other souls in other ways and and maybe a simple way would be to think of like um how, how my, my body has two arms and each arm has five fingers. And, you know, so maybe like my torso is like a, a soul and my arm is an extension of that. So, and then the fingers are extensions and of that. that again. Yeah. Yeah. May, maybe something kind of like that, but it's always, it's always changing, morphing. Um, and I, I also think one of the, one of the hard things about talking about this is I, I really think that time, the way that we experience it, you know, we experience this moment to moment progression, like we're mm -hmm. moving through time. But I, I, I think that Einstein was really onto it when he said all time exists all the time. And he talked about the relativity of time and, and time and space being part of the same thing. Mm. So that like, I, I, I picture it as, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it, but that everything already exists and we're just kind of like moving moment through moment through it, yeah. making choices on what it becomes for us. But I think, I, yeah, I, I've, I've been really influenced by theoretical physicists like Brian Greene, who talk about the possibility of multiple dimensions and multiple realities. And so I would think that, 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 a, that a soul, God, would exist in all of those places and all of those things. And we're just like right here, right now in this moment that we're in mm. making choices uh, every day and uh, learning and growing with what's put 
in front of us with what we have to uh, to unravel to, that. to make sense of it. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Um, uh, I'm going to ask you about one of the podcasts that you mentioned the email in one of the podcasts, you were a host, you weren't the host. I think you were part of, um, you were, as you said, fired from when you interviewed a psychic <laughs> medium against the host wishes. Can oh, you tell yeah. us about that? And what was that? Which podcast was that? Was that more expressions? Yeah. So, so the podcast was called Mormon expression and I did that. I, that was the first podcast that I, I really started, um, on and um yeah the 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 host was very very atheist leaning (laughs) and and we we just kind of butt heads um a couple of times on like the kind of content that we were interested in doing yeah at 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 one point there was a, a mormon psychic and her husband who had reached out to that podcast asking to be interviewed yeah and none of them really wanted to do it, but they knew that I was interested in things like that and open to it. So they said, okay, Glenn, why don't you go ahead and interview them? You'll probably do better than, than the rest of us. Yeah. And I, I just really liked them, you know, just yeah. like telling me their story and the things that she was claiming as a psychic. And she talked about this Kundalini experience that she had had. And I'd never heard the word Kundalini before. It was so funny sounding to me, yeah. <laughs> you know, like everything about her experience talking to animals you know, she, her husband made this joke that she's five for five on getting cats to pee in the litter box. You know, like, so when people would come to him and say, my cat won't be in the litter box and she'd talk to him, find out what's wrong. It just was so interesting to me. And so after I did this interview with her, I, I, I thought, wouldn't it be kind of cool if she would give me a reading and I could record that and have that uh-huh. be a podcast episode. And that was where, so that's where the it, host of the it, podcast draw, drew the line. No, don't line. do that. Yep. But I did it anyway. I was interested yeah. in doing it. And, and um, yeah, then, then that led to me being fired from the podcast. And, and so I started the, the Influence on Thrones in 2012 with those friends of mine. Yeah. And the interview that I did with her, I, I, I never published the full interview, but I published most of it. Yeah. Um, and then I did two or three other interviews with her that have also been published on Influence on Thrones. Her name is Krista Evans. Uh, what was Krista the response? From, Evans. What was the response from your audience? on those podcasts. <laughs> well, like I said, you know, the, 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 the audience was really a reflection of, of the hosts and most of the hosts were atheist, um, you know, very scientific minded, materialist skeptic. And so yeah. it was kind of like, what are you doing, Glenn? Why are you giving voice to somebody who's making such crazy claims? Like, what, what is this all about? Why are you interested in this? Mm. And so I kind of have to defend myself why I was interested in it. Um, but it didn't stop me. <laughs> I still enjoyed yeah. it. I, I still, I'm still friends with her today. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, so how did Bathing with God come about? And, and why in Bathing with God do you use quad and explain to us, <laughs> explain to the audience why, or who, who quad is? Yeah. I quad is a, an amalgamation of the words quantum and God. <laughs> so there you go. So the quantum energy, God, quad, um, and uh, it, wh- where did it come from? Um, I, I, uh, a, a, a very, <laughs> I started dating somebody who uh, listened to Abraham Hicks mm-hmm. and I'd never heard of Abraham Hicks before. And we started uh, listening to it, but I, I had read Seth Speaks and was very interested by Seth Speaks. Are you familiar with, with no, Seth No, explain okay. those. Seth Speaks is a, uh, 
there, there are probably 25 books of channeled material. A woman named Jane Roberts in the late 60s, early 70s was uh, channeling this intelligence named Seth. And uh, Seth talked about what it's like to be in disembodied uh, source energy, basically. Mm -hmm. He doesn't ever use the word source energy, I don't think, but that's, that's essentially the perspective that Seth is talking about. What's it like to uh, exist outside of the realms of this earth? Mm -hmm. And it just it was so fascinating to me, just the, the ideas in that thing. Whether, whether you take it as literal or just a fiction, whatever you want, it's just, for me, it has so many interesting ideas to just chew on. It's like a big buffet. And I'm a seven on the Enneagram for any of you or your listeners who are familiar with the Enneagram. I, I like big buffets. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like I like a lot of options. And uh, so, and then Abraham Hicks is uh, a woman named Esther Hicks who came across the Seth materials at some point in her life. And she started channeling this entity, Abraham. And a Abraham is kind of like Seth in that way. And she does uh, a lot of uh, live events where people will come up and, She'll she have a live interaction with them yep. in the personality of Seth, or not Seth, of, of Abraham. Yep. And so I, I listened to those and I, I, I really liked it. I thought it was fun. I, I, I I'm like what she has to say. Yeah. And uh, then a friend of mine recommended Neil Donald Walsh, Conversations with God. And I got that book and started listening to it. And I got maybe 45 minutes, an hour into the audiobook, And I thought, you know, I, I like this idea. I like this format, mm. but this isn't how I would write it. These aren't the questions that I would ask. And these aren't the answers that I would expect. Mm. And so just kind of like those three things, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a creative person. I like to write. I like to produce, you know, that that's I turned that um, into my podcast hobby. Yeah, I I. Uh, I started doing some conversations with Quad instead of conversations with God, the Neil Donald Walsh book. And I, I did a couple of episodes for Infants on Thrones a couple of years ago called Conversations with Quad and had some pushback from a friend of mine, one of the co-hosts on the podcast that really helped me to like, what, what do I really think? Where, where do these ideas fall flat? Um, and, and where don't they? And it, it just turned into a thing where I would be sitting in my, my bathtub uh, soaking <laughs> and I would get some ideas and I would start writing them down on my phone in this, in this format of question and answer mm. um, with, with myself posing questions and, and quad as this personality that is basically playing the role that Seth did or Abraham yeah. did or, or God in God conversation does. with God. And, yeah. and um, yeah, so, so that's, I, and I, I've, I've wanted to write a book for a long time and I thought, oh, I'll do this one. I, I, I also, <laughs> I wanted to break away from the, with, with Infants on Thrones, we've, we're coming up on 700 episodes over the last eight years and over 12 a million lot of episodes. downloads total. Yeah, wow. I mean, but, but it's really changed. And I've changed from the time when I started it to, to doing it now. And I thought it'd be nice to do a podcast that, doesn't have the same kind of baggage that or you know, expectation. I'm, I'm carrying around your expectations or, yeah. you know, reputation or, you know, things like that. To, to, so to, to, to do something different, I'll do bathing with God. I'll have a book that's associated with it. So, so bathing with God became 
the chapters of the book. E each chapter is a different episode of Bathing with God. Yeah. And then I also do listener mailbag questions when people will write in with their questions. And then I include interviews as well and things like that. So I think there's about 26 or 27 episodes of Bathing with God out right now. Um, and I'm still doing Infants on Thrones. And I'm doing another podcast with a friend who's an astrologer that's a big Beatles fan. So we're doing the spiritual dimension of the Beatles. We've just started doing that. And oh, wow. That excites that's me. Fascinating. Oh, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, that really, excites me. That's so, really is that where the ayahuasca comes in? And how did you come to be um, wanting to do And did you make the choice to want to do the ayahuasca journey or was it something that just evolved uh -oh. and happened? Well, I had never heard of ayahuasca. Um, and a friend of mine, you, you know, because I, I grew up Mormon, like you, you covered, I didn't, I didn't drink, I, I didn't smoke. Coffee was um, even frowned upon. Yeah, I, I, I never did any kinds of drugs, anything like that, um, until my 40s. Um, and when I didn't have the, the religious, cultural reasons holding me back, I, I, I remembered stories that friends of mine had told me in high school about uh, one guy in particular who did LSD and went and saw the little mermaid in the theater. And he's like, it was such a trip, Glenn. It was so awesome. And he <laughs> just was like talking it up so much that I'd always had this curiosity about psychedelics, but yeah. also a big fear around yeah. them. And um, so I was, I was curious and I thought I'll, I'll, I'll try mushrooms. And so I tried mushrooms with some friends of mine and it was okay. I enjoyed listening to the music that I had. <laughs> um, but, and, and, you know, I, I wrote down, that experience, I, I recently went back and reread what, what I wrote from that experience. And it was actually more profound um, as, as, a, as a tool for self-discovery than I thought, than I gave it credit for at the time. Yeah. But it was, it was shortly after that that a friend of mine had said, well, if, if, you're, real, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, I, I know this shaman who gets this group together and it's, um, it's much more of a, a spiritual kind of thing. Yeah. And so if you're okay with that, why don't you come out and try it? And uh, so I did. And I, I, I almost left after the first night. Um, why was I, that? Because it made me nervous. I was, I was with a group of about 20 people who I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, I knew a couple of them, the, the friends of mine that invited me to it but everyone else I didn't know I wasn't sure about this shaman guy and what his agenda was I wasn't sure if I could trust him yeah I, I felt that's a massive like, that's a really big thing for this yeah yeah and I I I, I knew when when I had taken the ayahuasca and sitting in the circle that I had put myself in a very vulnerable situation that my, my mind was malleable yeah. and I, I was in a position where I could be being brainwashed and so I thought, do, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to open myself up to being brainwashed? This could be a cult that I stumbled into. I don't know what this is. It's, I had all of these fears that were going through my head mm. that first night during that first experience. And I didn't, I didn't take very much of it. I, I just kind of dipped my toe in, so to speak. Yeah. And the next day I was, I was going to leave. And my friends, you know, they, they said, well, why don't you, why don't you stick it out? And you know, because if, if, if you leave, then you're kind of burning your bridges with this group and these people. And, you know, there, there might be some people that you form some really good friendships with. And do you I want to really let that go? And also, more yeah. importantly, you didn't finish the, what I would consider the, the full experience. Like if you leave halfway through or leave right. with unanswered questions, that actually, I think, is more dangerous or can be more dangerous than 
for the brain and, yeah. and, and not from what I understand of a shamanic or um, a journey or an ex plant experience, that if you leave that unfinished or unclosed, that can be dangerous going out into the world other than... Maybe. It, I think it just would have become a completely different experience than the one that it did become. Um, mm. You know, the, I, I, I really had a lot of resistance to the shaman telling me that I needed to go deeper, that I needed to face my fears, that um, that, that I was allowing the shadow part of me to determine what I was doing. I thought, okay, I've, I've, I've heard propaganda before. I'm too smart for that. I'm going to, I'm not going to let myself get brainwashed by this, but I, I, I did decide to stay for the second night. And I did decide because I saw other people that, uh, that did go deep into the medicine and they were fine mm. the next day. And they had a fine experience that, you know, um, so I, I thought, okay, I'm here. I've made the journey to come out here because it, it wasn't close to where I live. It, it took quite a bit of effort to get there. I, I might as well do this. I, mm. I came here to have this full experience. Let's just have the full experience, not the dip the toe in experience. And um, that second night was just super, super powerful. It, 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 um, I, I asked questions about what the soul is and I had a little vision of what a soul was, which doesn't make any sense to me. But it, it was kind of like a like a, a mandala or something like that, and right. I, I I said I don't understand, and the response was you're not supposed to, and I saw different faces of like lives that I had lived supposedly in the past, and just like yeah. had all these kinds of experiences that that became really um, meaningful. But it was mainly just the the sense of love and connection that I felt to the people around me. And I, and I had this really strong impression that there are parts of all of us who are just like, like this deep root system mm -hmm. that is much deeper and that we're all so connected in ways that just we are our, our egoic awareness uh, conscious awareness that you were talking about before the kangaroos came into yours, yeah. you know, that, that we're all, we're just all connected. And the word that kept coming to me was conspiring that we're like conspiring with each other on these levels and playing with each other on these levels that we don't really understand. Um, and yeah, so that, that, uh, that experience definitely played an influence and that, and that was maybe a year or two before I started writing the yeah, I guess I started writing the Bathing with God stuff, the, the conversations with Quad a few months after that. that do you think that experience. had, yeah, I was going to say, do you think that had an influence on bringing that out of you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, because the way that I started thinking about things, it, it had been shifting for a long time anyway, but that, um, yeah, that, that experience definitely uh, had an influence. What do you think your purpose is or what do you think your role here is in this plane? <laughs> no, I know it's a really big question I know or I think I know what mine is and I think that's to to help people understand what their sole purpose is and to, to bring them to or help them on their journey to find awareness of what they are meant to do with life well let me tell you what I want it to be Tanya <laughs> I, I, I want to be a bodhisattva that's what I want to be what's a, 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 bodhi, a bodhisattva um, a, a being of love yeah. and, and, and that's an inward journey yeah. I, I've been so influenced um, recently by Michael Singer, the author of The Untethered Soul, who uh -huh. also did an eight-course series called The Path to Surrender. God, so um, much I need to study. Yep. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, this this stuff from, from Michael Singer and then another book um, 
by David Hawkins called Letting Go. Those I was reading as I was writing Bathing with God. And there, there are a lot of ideas in Bathing with God that came through those, those guys and, and, and those mm. channels. Because it, 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 so my purpose in life, the reason that I'm here, my focus, what keeps me going every day is to release those false stories that I tell myself about what's going on in the world around me. Mm. And the, the areas where it's most uh, influential, where I, where I feel that impact the most is in my relationships with people that I'm close to, that I, yeah. that I live with. And when things happen that start to annoy me and I can feel that fight or flight response happening in my brain and things are constricting and that tightness that you talked about earlier that you feel in your gut and your body. Yeah. So just kind of like, remember, <laughs> like breathe, <laughs> yeah, deeply breathe, yep. relax, um, re relax and, and recognize that my response to what's happening is my response to what's happening. That's that's the part that I'm responsible for. And you talk about that as being your fiction, don't you? Yeah, well, sure, it's a fiction. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I mean, all, all of these things, I, I I think, I mean, if you want to talk about fictions, <laughs> I, yeah, totally. I think that's, that's, that's all we really have to work with because nobody nobody has the complete picture of what's going on about anything. No. Nobody does. And that's a really scary prospect. It's a really scary place to be, but to, to say, okay, well, what I think is true, I'm going to, I'm going to own it as a fiction. This is my fiction. This is my story of what's going on. And as soon as I get better information, I'll update my story. I'll mm. update the fiction, but I, I recognize there's always going to be, there, there's always much more out there that I don't know and possibly can't know than anything I do know. Mm. And, and that, that was one of my favorite parts to write at the end of chapter one, when, when the bather is asking Claude, all right, well, how much do we know compared to yeah, how much we I don't know? I like that know? bit too. Yep. <laughs> like, well, there's no number for that because if, if you assume that we're living in an infinitely expanding universe, yeah. then there, there are also as a part of that infinite expansion, there are things that are being created that have never existed before that like, that we don't have words for. You, you, you don't have words for, but, but you can't create a percentage if the denominator is a constantly moving target. Right. It's constantly, like how would you give uh, any kind of percentage on that? And so that was one of those little like insights that just came to me as a result of focusing to write this stuff that I'm like, oh, thank you, Quad. I, <laughs> I like having that perspective and recognizing, yeah, I, I can free myself of the fear of uncertainty by recognizing it's all you know it's it's, it's okay all, yeah yeah we, it's okay not to know everything it's okay not to know and, it, and it's and it's better to not pretend yeah that, that we know i love that like when you just said there's fear around not knowing yeah and the, the the infinite i don't see that for me that's not fear that's exciting because there's so much yeah. more to learn yeah yeah but i can see where people come from when they say that they're fearful of that yeah uh going to ask you probably just one or two more questions um what are you excited about now like right now what brings you joy uh joy <laughs> joy brings me joy <laughs> love i mean there's yeah love um just i i uh i go going on walks talking to friends um learning new things uh get, 
I, I, I love it when I get questions from um, listeners of Bathing with God. And they, you know, I just got one uh, yesterday saying, what, what do you think about Jesus and gurus? And I'm like, oh, that's okay. a really good question. That's a great question. I get like, yeah. how am I going to write this? Or what do you mean by an inner self? What's an inner self? And I'm like, mm. oh, okay, this is a fun little nut I get to try and crack in, in my head. Yeah. Um, and, and so taking the time out of my day to just sit down and, and start formulating a response to that. That's so much fun. I, I, I love doing that. Um, and e even when, uh, when my partner and I get in, in little fights now, it's really interesting to watch how my, how I change in the way that I respond and the way that she changes and the way that she responds as we're both mm -hmm. becoming more aware of what's going on <laughs> in those, in those interactions. In those games. Yeah. Yeah. And are and, you and able to put your, coming from. Yeah. yeah. Are you able to put, pull yourself out of that situation and, and look at it from the um, like second person? So you see how you're reacting in that situation. You know what I've started doing? I mean, this is very, very recent, like within the last two or three weeks, I've, I've started telling myself and, and not just in those moments, but kind of like reinforcing it at different times during the day. All I really have to give is love. Mm. All I have to give is love. And so in those moments where she's accusing me, like you didn't do the dishes, you said you were going to do the dishes or, you know, something like that. And I'm like, but I did do the, I did, you know, like instead of getting uh, defensive and feeling like there's a part of me that I you know, have to defend that's being attacked. I, I take that breath. And I think, okay, all I have is, all I have is love. Like, and, and what that has done uh, is, is helped me see, okay, where she's coming from is she's really frustrated right now because the kitchen needs to be cleaned. So instead of spending, wasting this time arguing about it, I show her that I love her by, okay, I'll go clean the kitchen. I'm not going to worry about what you're saying. If I did this or I didn't do that. I mean, these are just like little things that I can let go of. It's not important yeah. to the grand scheme of things. It's not important to me being a, a being of love that I just, I want to respond from a place of love as, as much as I possibly can, as often as I possibly can. So when I get those little victories where I can see, Hey, I've done it. And like a month ago, I wouldn't have. Yeah. <laughs> That's another thing that brings me a lot of joy. Um, Paul Czech, I'm a Czech practitioner and Paul who started the Czech Institute says, you, the question you ask is what would love do? Mm, I like that. Mm, I like that too. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, thank you for being with us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, Tanya. And if people want to find you, they can find you at Infants, Infants on Thrones, Bathing with God and, and get the book. Yeah. 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 Bathing with God and, and I, I love getting reviews. And, and emails. I, I, I love getting emails from people who listen to it and asking questions and interacting. Uh, that's one of my favorite things about doing podcasting the way that I've been doing it is the, the, the conversation. listeners. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you for being here today, Glenn. Thanks, Tanya. If you've been inspired by the guests on this podcast and you'd like more information about how to find your own soul purpose, you can contact us on rawheartandsoul.com for further information about our four, eight and 12 week programs. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on the podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Tanya Carroll and the producers, disclaims responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations 
or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, please consult with your licensed physician.